Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Crushing, nothing personal word of the day for Tuesday, October 19th, 2021 is crushing. Were you up last night? Did you watch it? The American League Championship Series looks like a Mike Tyson, Buster Douglas fight. There is zero chance that the Red Sox can lose this series. Zero. They get in the ring. First inning, second inning of game one, Grand Slam, Grand Slam. Second inning last night, Grand Slam. Kyle Schwarber, the trade deadline acquisition. The throwaway player from the Chicago Cubs. The non-tender. The guy you can't find a place to play on defense. He's now in the Red Sox, playing outfield, playing first base. Hitting at the top of the lineup, first or second. The Red Sox lineup, guys you've never heard of, but unless you're watching baseball right now, Schwarber, Kiki Hernandez, Devers, Bogarts, Bacall. (laughs) It's a crushing. What do you do if you're the Houston Astros? You're the front office. You're Jim Crane, the owner. Dusty Baker, despondent beyond repair. You're down 2-1 in the series. You start Zach Greinke in game four today. Zach Greinke, who's being paid a score and a half million dollars per year. Zach Greinke, who's pitched once in the last month, maybe twice, a couple innings. Zach Greinke on the IL, I got a neck thing, I got COVID. Whatever he has, here's what he doesn't have, length. Do you know not one Astros starting pitcher in the first three games has made it out of the third inning? Do you know the Astros starters have a total of five and a third innings pitched in three games? Do you know that the Boston Red Sox, I'm giving you stats galore today. The Boston Red Sox have played eight postseason games. Garrett Cole went two innings in the wildcard game, which seems like a year ago when the Yankees lost. Only one pitcher has made it out of the third inning. And that was McClanahan, the Rays opening pitcher of that series who went five innings and got the win. The Red Sox are simply crushing the ball and the Astros have no answer. The Astros are hurt. Lance McCullers is hurt. And that hurts. Garcia hurt his knee. Urquidy can't get anyone out. Granke can't pitch. Verlander's hurt. The bats for the Astros needed to carry them. We told you what this series needed to be. If the Astros aren't going to hit, they're not going to win. What I didn't count on was the Red Sox hitting from everywhere in the lineup. I didn't count on Kiki Hernandez being Babe Ruth, that utility player for the Red Sox. 
it's not that it's boring to watch because people like offense, but the whole game, I just kept thinking about what the GM and the president were doing of the Astros during the game as they were trying to figure out what it's like to be down nine, nothing every time in the ALCS. But you say to yourself, you know what? All we got to do is win three out of the next four. We can win three out of four and we get to go home. All we have to do is win one of the next two in Boston and then we're home for game six and seven. One out of two in Boston. And the Red Sox are going with Nick Pavetta, who's actually been a decent pitcher for them, but he's sort of a number five or number six starter. So when you're trying to win a ring and you've got a chip on your shoulder the way the Astros do and Samson picked you to win in seven games and you really felt this was a year to win the World Series, Correa is going to be a free agent for the Astros. You're very concerned about the future of your team. You sit there watching the game and here's the conversations that are happening. What do we do? And how do we do it? Should we mess around with the lineup? Do we move Brantley down in the lineup? doesn't matter the names, but the Astros have a set lineup. But they're going through now and figuring out, do we stay with what we've done that's gotten us to where we are, that has been so good offensively, or do we recognize the situation we're in and change accordingly? And Major League Baseball front offices are so hesitant to take a small sample size and make changes because of that small sample size because they're so used to the analytics of the game, which by definition take over and take into account the 162-game season, if not 324 games or 486 games. They look at history and say, history tells me the following is going to happen. Therefore, the next thing is going to happen the way history took place. But if you're watching the game with your eyes, and you're paying attention to what this series has been in the American League, you know that what went on, we used to say detour, Coca. When I used to work on Wall Street, there used to be a saying that we had to tell clients. Past performance is not indicative of future result. And the reason why we'd have to say that is you could call a client and say, hey, I was up 22% last year. The market was only up 12. I outperformed by almost 100%. Give me your money. Let me churn your money and make some commissions. But you had to say, hey, I may have been great yesterday, but ooh, I may not be good today. And by the way, tomorrow, I may be out of a job. I always wanted to take my Wall Street experience into baseball, except baseball people are the opposite. And I ended up becoming the opposite. I would look at past performance and say, hey, in 2019, that's my favorite when we do that. Two years ago, this player hit 30 home runs and had 95 RBI. He's going to return to form. Three years ago, this guy went 175 innings and won 14 games with a sub three and a half ERA. Let's bring him on. And I would believe it every time. Just like you as consumers do trying to buy and sell securities and stocks and options, you always look at past performance. Hey, Facebook went up yesterday 10 points. It'll go up 10 points again today. Suckus. It's a bunch of PT Barnums out there. 
past results are definitely not indicative of future performance when it comes to the Astros, unless, of course, you want to look at the past result of yesterday. In which case, I say to you, past results are absolutely indicative of future performance. So I'm watching the game yesterday, and I'm wondering how many other people are watching because the Red Sox, again, came to a 9 nothing lead, and I recognized the series was over. The likelihood of the Red Sox getting on a plane and going back to Texas is de minimis, in my opinion. It's going to be hard for the Astros to win in seven when the Red Sox win in five. Chaim Bloom, the brilliant chief baseball officer, the man who Coca pre-show said to me, don't forget all the people in Red Sox Nation wanted him fired when they weren't playing well. When they traded Mookie Betts, John Henry was the devil personified, the owner of the Red Sox, traded Mookie Betts to the Dodgers for some guy named Alex Verdugo. Yeah, that guy. Signed Kiki Hernandez, another former Dodger. Yeah, they lost out on who they wanted. You know what? They're doing just fine. They bring back Alex Cora after a year's suspension. Will it matter? Alex Cora is definitely making a difference on the field. No. That's still being run by Chaim Bloom in the front office. But in the clubhouse, did you watch what he did yesterday with his starting pitcher, Eduardo Rodriguez? Eduardo Rodriguez went six innings yesterday. What was amazing about the six inning performance is the way it was celebrated on TV. As though he was going to win the Cy Young Award. Six innings, giving up three runs, used to be what we call the quality start. That's what the stat was. And we would sit around in the clubhouse after games when our pitcher would go six innings, and we would say, what a chump. We can't have a rotation of these guys who keep going six innings, giving up three runs. We need better. We need seven plus three or fewer. For the quality start guys, we're going to be fifth starter, give him $8 million a year, which, by the way, is outrageous when you can get a young player at half a million dollars to do the same thing. But this day and age in this postseason, when no starting pitching has length or a leash of any kind, they get pulled at the drop of a dime. I don't know why I snapped at the drop of a dime. That's strange. It's a mixed metaphor, maybe. So Rodriguez goes six innings. His last batter is Carlos Correa, the impending free agent. Mr. Sign Stealer, garbage can banging person himself. Good player. Really, really good player. He's going to get paid this offseason. Just you wait. So Rodriguez gets him to ground out four to three. Eduardo Rodriguez takes his pointer from his non-throwing hand. He touches the wrist of his glove hand and he taps it. Are you watching this on YouTube? Because we got a good background today here in Stamford, Connecticut. And he taps his watch. And Alex Cora loses his mind, starts yelling at him from the dugout. No, 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 don't do that. Rodriguez comes off the field, having completed six innings. Cora embraces him, whispers in his ear like Bill Murray to Scarlett Johansson in Lost in Translation. It's going to be okay. I want you. I don't want to leave Tokyo. 
what he said was, don't you do that. We don't do that here. We win the game and move on to the next game. Don't taunt. Don't poke the bear. Carlos Correa then said, I thought that was funny. He said, I pimped the home run when I hit it in game one. I said, it's my time. Remember when he did that in the seventh inning or eighth inning of game one? Maybe it was the seventh. It's my time. I like it, Correa said, when Rodriguez does things like that. I want players to have fun. I want young people to watch baseball. But Cora had a different view. Cora said, if you really watch his lips while he's whispering, the way the internet trying to figure out what Bill Murray was saying, what he said is, we don't do that. We just bang garbage cans and steal signs and wear buzzers. So please, don't do that again. <laughs> I liked when Alex Cora took the high road. You know what? People deserve a second chance. They really do. I was okay. I thought the celebration was fine. I thought what Eduardo did was fine. I thought what Cora did was interesting. I would have walked into the manager's office after the game, said, good game. We're two away from the World Series. What'd you say to Eduardo, I would have asked. And he would have said it. And I would have agreed. Because when you're in a playoff run with a manager, you try not to argue too much because I've done it. I've argued with the manager during a playoff run. And it doesn't feel good. So I would have said, you're right. Let's not try to wake a sleeping giant. But I'd know in the back of my head that I want my players to have that sort of edge. I want them to feel as though they want to crush their opponent. Crush their opponent. Do you get that circular word of the day? Crush the opponent. All right, here we go. 134 and 117, we won our pick of the day. Red Sox beat the Astros. Well, the Red Sox play the Astros again because it's baseball. We play every day. They've got Zach Greinke going against Nick Pavetta. Take the Red Sox. But we got a doubleheader. A lot of you have been asking why it is that the Dodgers are the early game today. The Dodgers play at 5 o'clock Eastern, which is 2 o'clock West Coast time. The game is in L.A., 2 p.m. Is that Do I have it wrong, Coca? Are the Dodgers the early game today? I think I have that right. And people are saying, why would they do that? Well, tomorrow there's also two games. And guess what? The Dodgers have the late game. Why is that? Because when MLB goes to sell its playoff package, and Turner's bidding, and Fox's bidding. They all want one thing, prime time. So what MLB does is they split it. They say, hey, Turner, bid on the LCS package, and we will get you a prime time game, but we also will get you an afternoon game. And they say the same thing to Fox. It's totally normal. Coca then says to me during the pregame preparation for the show, when looking at the schedule, when deciding whether he's going to spend eight hours watching baseball today and then laughing. The producer of Nothing Personal will spend a total. Here's my over-under. Tell me, Coke, if I'm right. The over-under on the number of minutes of baseball you will watch today. I'm setting the over-under. Ready? One minute is the over-under. And his answer... That doesn't count, Coca. Can you imagine what a millennial he is? Can I call you that, Matt? 
He said, does it count watching highlights on Twitter? If that doesn't say it all, then nothing does. That's it. That should be the byline of baseball. The amount of baseball I'll watch today depends on the highlights on Twitter. The reason why they play two games today and two games tomorrow, baseball is an everyday sport. The players need to play every day, the routine of playing every day, and you don't want to reward a team without pitching by giving them too many off days because then the union wouldn't be happy because owners would say, I only need to pay two starting pitchers. There's so many off days during the playoffs. I can keep pitching the same guys every day. The union said, no, thank you. And plus the broadcasters want to have a game every day because as the series get longer, the comfort of knowing the game is every day and the buildup from a game three to a four to a five to a six, all they do is take a day off for travel. That's why we do two, three, two in the LCS and in the World Series. It's not two, two, one, one, one. A, traveling is a pain in the neck and setting up the clubhouse and bringing all the equipment is totally annoying. But B, players are used to being in one place for longer periods of time. It's just better for all logistics, all players, everybody, including owners. Then we got the Dodgers Braves. That's a compelling series, Coca. Even though it's Braves 2-0, you got Ferris Bueller going against Charlie Morton. Charlie Morton, who I think just celebrated his 48th birthday. And he's pitched fine, but he's no match for Walker Bueller. My pick in the afternoon game, if you're listening to this, please go Dodgers. That series will be two to one. You think the Braves are going to go up three nothing? I think not. So what do teams do? There's only there's 26 teams right now. Common question I get asked. When you're eliminated from the playoffs, are you watching? Most GMs are not watching. Most owners are watching. Most presidents are not watching. I always watched the playoffs in all my years that we weren't in it, which was 17 out of 18. The reason I watched it is I wanted that feeling. I wanted to remember how it felt when I was there, and I wanted to work my ass off to get that feeling again. That's all you want. You want, once you've experienced something like that for the first time, picture like as a kid when you have your first experience and then you spend the rest of your life trying to do it again and again and again. That's what the playoffs are. You just want to do it again. But you're also planning for next year. And there's something cathartic about planning for next season once you've been eliminated because it lets you turn the page. You get to forget about the failure of your season and start again. So the Padres are getting ready. Yes, they had such a failure of a season, but they're getting their team together, figuring out what they're going to do. One of the things that we do when a season ends without a World Series ring is you have exit interviews with the players. You talk to them about what their offseason is going to be like, what you expect from them, whether or not they're allowed to play winter ball. Young players from foreign countries all want to play winter ball because they get pressured by their home countries to play winter ball locally. We have the right to tell everyday players they're not allowed to play. Then the players get upset with us. The agents get upset with us, but we don't care. We fought with Hanley Ramirez so much about winter ball, I can't even tell you. 
until Hanley got a little older and said, hey, he used to call me Poppy. Hey, Poppy, tell me I can't play winter ball, please. And he wanted to blame us so he could tell his home country, the Dominican, that he couldn't play. But, oh, I wanted to play, but those big bad Marlins won't let me play. And I didn't care being the bad guy. So we'd say, yeah, he can't play. So the Padres are getting ready and their biggest offseason issue, believe it or not, not whether or not you Darvish and Blake Snell can possibly be good again. Their biggest issue is Fernando Tatis Jr. I had to wait to see that Tatis is going to have shoulder surgery, and I am not willing to take that as a loss quite yet. Because you know how wait to sees work. I'll always revisit it. The Padres announced and Fernando Tatis announced that he is not having shoulder surgery. Let me explain to you what's wrong with Fernando Tatis. His shoulder keeps in layman's words, which is what I am, a layman. <laughs> it keeps popping out. You know, you see it in movies when it pops out and then you hit your shoulder against a wall if you're in an action movie and it pops back in and everything's good. That's the movies. In baseball, when you keep popping your shoulder in and out, what you're really doing and I'm not practicing medicine. I'm just telling you my experience as a baseball guy and a business guy. You're making it worse because when it pops back in and out, it's creating some sort of residue or some sort of friction or some sort of atrophy of the shoulder cavity muscle. Whatever the case is, when you've got a, what's the word, coca? Come on, man. Sublexed, sublexed, uh, sublexia. Subluxationia. I think that's what it is. Any doctors around, just let me know. That shoulder needs surgery. Absent that surgery, it's going to keep happening. Tatis was on the DL twice this past year, once in April, once in August. He had a move to the outfield because they were so worried about him diving for balls in the hole at shortstop that his shoulder would pop out and he'd miss more time. Was his defense bothered by his shoulder? People are coming up with all the war stats and all the defensive metric stats saying he was a better shortstop than Seager, a better outfielder than Samson. Whatever the case is, I don't care about any of that as president of the team. I'm telling Tatis, get surgery right now and then get better so you can be with us because we signed you to a long-term deal. But Tatis said, no, I want to wait. We cannot force players to get surgery. One of the great misunderstandings amongst fans, the front office cannot force a player to do something. We can have our doctor suggest it. We can even manufacture the second opinion and have the second opinion doctor say it. But the player has to agree. If Tatis were not signed to a long-term deal right now, would he have the surgery? Usually the way it works is when you don't have a long-term deal, you try to play through it as much as possible because you want to get bulk, you want to get numbers, but you stop playing when you're not being effective because the only thing worse than being injured going into free agency is being injured but playing and not getting good results. But Tatis's results were almost MVP-like. So what's his motivation to have surgery? I would try to explain to him, you're being selfish. You are guaranteed to miss time next year. Guaranteed that it'll come at a bad time when we're trying to catch the Dodgers or the Giants or possibly 
play in October, given our inflated payroll. But the terrible part is there is nothing we can do about that. So that's the frustrating part. The next thing you're doing in your offseason is you're getting your coaching staff together, which is why you're reading all about all the coaches who are being fired, who are being hired. You're setting up your player development, the managers of your minor league teams. And if you have no manager at the major league level or no general manager or no president of baseball operations, that is your main focus. Even before figuring out free agency or dealing with players, it's like a hierarchy of decision tree. And you've got to start at the top. So the Mets, as an example, have to figure out who their president of baseball ops is, and they're struggling. We'll talk about that one of these days. Then if you don't have a manager, you got to hire one. The Cardinals need to get a manager. The Yankees need to figure out what to do with their manager. Remember, I told you that Aaron Boone and Brian Cashman, if the Yankees don't miss the playoffs, are in trouble. The Yankees made the playoffs. So Cashman and Boone, in my opinion, are going to be brought back. We talked about why. And now reports are that Boone is going to be brought back. And I'm not surprised by it. Hal Steinbrenner, the owner of the Yankees, is so interested in not being his father that he doesn't want to just knee-jerk get rid of Aaron Boone. I still believe Aaron Boone needs to be replaced, and I love Booney, but he needs to be replaced because something's got to change because the way the Yankees are built and the way the Yankees are managed and the way the Yankees play, it doesn't work. How Aaron Boone will get a long-term deal should not surprise you. I told you he'd get two years. Rumor, rumors are that he's going to get three years. We'll see what it ends up being. From the Yankees' standpoint, let's say they're paying Boone $3 million a year, $5 million a year, $8 million a year. It's not that, but just pretend it were. The Yankees know they do not extend managers prior or executives to their contracts running out. That's the Yankee way. They let contracts run out and then they either extend or get rid of the employee. When you are a manager who is quote unquote on the hot seat and you get signed to a one year deal, you are creating a distraction for your clubhouse before the season even starts. You're creating a media firestorm before the season even starts. And when you're the Yankees and you've got that type of money, you don't do it. As the Marlins, we didn't sign one-year deals for our managers. We'd give them two and then fire them after three games. It's sort of like a severance package. So once the Yankees and Hal Steinbrenner decided they were going to bring back Aaron Boone, it was made very clear to me that he would get a long-term deal. And if you're Aaron Boone and you get a long-term deal from the Yankees, you take it. And Aaron Boone, when he's interviewed, mark my words, he's going to say the following thing or some facsimile. Unfinished business. That's what every manager says who's not won a World Series with his team. We have unfinished business here. We've got the team. We've been successful, but we need to find a way to get through October. And I can't wait to get to spring training and start climbing up that hill again. It reminds me, Detour Coca, of a funny story. A baseball season is like pushing a boulder up a hill. Have I told you my boulder story, Coca? I mean, we're episode, what are we, episode 466 today of regular Nothing Personal episodes? It's hard for me to remember. It's hard for Coca to remember. I could ask Beth. The boulder story is that you spend time 
pushing a boulder up a hill to get what you want. You want to get the boulder right on top. In some cases, it's to get a promotion at your job. That's the boulder at the top or a raise or a job. In some cases, it's to get a girlfriend, a relationship. In baseball, it's to get a World Series ring. You're pushing that boulder up. And when you get eliminated, whether it's from the playoffs in the regular season, you don't even make the playoffs, or when you get eliminated in the wild card game or the division series or the LCS, you're pushing the boulder up. You flinch and the boulder rolls down and crushes you and goes all the way back to the bottom of the mountain. Then you got to scurry down. You take some water and you start pushing the boulder back up again. And you tell your fans, we can't wait to do it again. I got news for you. It's exhausting. And that's what the Yankees are doing. And they decided to run it back with Aaron Boone. Good luck, Aaron. Love you, Booney. All right, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we are going to talk about the NBA. It's hard to even believe. Today is October 19th. The NBA season starts tonight. The Milwaukee Bucks start defending their title tonight. The NBA is back, baby, and I can't wait. Just like we'll be right back. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to Nothing Personal. Thank you so much for making it through that CBS-inflicted gauntlet. Please download, rate, review, follow, subscribe, unsubscribe, resubscribe. Tell your friends about Nothing Personal. We're growing this one fan at a time. One pail of water out of the dinghy at a time. I watched a movie. I want to continue. I watch a movie every day, even when I'm doing baseball in studio till one in the morning, find time to watch a movie. Tomorrow's movie is a coca suggested movie. I'm going to watch it today. It's called Lorelei with Jenna Malone, who, by the way, was in Goliath from yesterday. Do you get it? Full circle, Jenna Malone. But the concept of yesterday, when I reviewed Goliath season four, was about opioids. I watched a movie yesterday that I've been told to watch and I'd never seen before. And it's called Imperfect, the Roy Halladay story. Roy Halladay is the pitcher for the Phillies who pitched a perfect game against the Marlins. Remember, go Google that. That's one of the funniest things ever I did in my career. When after the perfect game was done, we put tickets on sale. It was a pro player stadium. We put tickets to that game back on sale because people would want to buy those tickets and then keep them as a memento and say that they were there at the perfect game because 10 years later, everyone was there at the perfect game, but they have the ticket stub. And then we got to count that 
as sold tickets when we announced our attendance. People thought it was crazy. I thought it was smart and funny. So imperfect, the Roy Halladay story is not funny. It's the story of his opioid addiction. He crashed a Don John Denver type plane, a light aircraft, single engine, experimental, make it in a box aircraft. He was doing wheelies over the water in Western Florida and his plane crashed. The entire imperfect is a 42 minute documentary where his wife and his son talk about and his father talk about him as a man. And the reason it's called imperfect is that he pitched a perfect game against the Marlins, a no hitter in the playoffs that same year. And he had demons. He had addictions. And he so badly wanted to be perfect that he was afraid to ask for help. He was so afraid that if he went to rehab, he'd be recognized and made fun of or get shamed on social media. And now he's dead. The takeaway from Imperfect, the Roy Halladay story is that no matter what position you're in or no matter how big your ego is, the fact that society and social media shames people into not getting help is directly correlated to the increase in death. It's not just Big Pharma that's responsible for Roy Halladay's death. It's all of us. It's all of us who judge it's all of us who get on social media and forward and quote tweet and commit schadenfreude where we are happy at the misfortune of others. I watched that movie. Listen, I rooted against Ray Halliday, period. When he was on the mound, he was so good. He would crush us. I couldn't stand him as a pitcher because he was that good. When he was on Toronto, I didn't care as much. But on Philly, right in the National League East, I did. I had no idea as a president of the Marlins, I had no idea what he was going through. He wasn't my player. I never heard from the Phillies brass. I bet they didn't know. I had no idea when he retired that he retired because of an injury and that he continued to use opioids after he retired. The only thing I do know, and we've talked about it on Nothing Personal, is that we don't take care of retired players. And I'm guilty of that. Once they're gone, they're gone. I never thought about it much. It's called Imperfect, the Roy Halladay story. Do you remember the Boulder story I told on a recent show? I'm just kidding. That was today. That was before the break, folks. That's what an NBA season's like, too. LeBron James, who starts defense of his title from two years ago. <laughs> Are you still defending a title? If you won it two years ago, I think the Bucks are defending their title, but the Lakers are trying to get their second in three years. LeBron James is trying to catch. Oh, my God, Coke. I totally forgot. Who's he trying to catch? Is he trying to catch Kobe or Jordan? Does LeBron have four or five? I think LeBron has two with the Heat, one with the Cavs, one with the Lakers. I'm guessing he has four and he's trying to catch Kobe's five right now but I may be wrong. I'm correct. Thank you, Coca. And he gave the example of what it's like to start over and to start pushing that boulder up the hill. Well, we start. I want to tell you two storylines that are going on in the NBA that you should be watching. 
One we've covered in detail, which is the Kyrie Irving story. Adam Silver, the commissioner of the NBA, met the media as he does before every season and had some fantastic words about the Kyrie situation where he said, I wish all players were vaccinated, but this is not a league issue. Kyrie Irving is not playing home games for the Brooklyn Nets, not because of me, but because of New York State. No player is above the law, no matter what they think. And he's got to follow the law and he can't play. There's nothing we can do. We can't change the rule and make it so we can play. And Adam Silver was extremely articulate as he discussed the NBA's role in society, as he discussed what he wishes were the case. While he addresses how unfair it is that Bradley Beal of the Wizards is not vaccinated, but gets to play. But Kyrie Irving is also not vaccinated, but doesn't get to play. That's because New York has different rules than the District of Columbia. That's how it goes. Local laws have to be followed. He wanted to get all of the bad talk out of the way before the season started. So maybe by chance for the first time in two years, the focus could be on the court. So we talked about tampering. Remember the whole tampering situation? I think we have a way to see that the Miami Heat are not going to be fined for the signing and trading of Kyle Lowry. A sign and trade is when a team signs a player and then immediately trades him because of the salary cap to another team. It was only last year that Brian Bogdanovich had a sign and trade to the Milwaukee Bucks that was disallowed by the NBA. The Bucks got fined substantially and Bogdanovich ended up signing with a different team. I believe he's on the Hawks now. NBA teams have been tampering with players as much as baseball teams tamper with players. You think that when the NBA free agent window opens and all of a sudden these players are signing that it took two minutes to get a deal done or when trades are done and signings are done. Oh, I called him Brian. I'm sorry, Coca. Is there no player named Brian Bogdanovich? Is it Bogdan Bogdanovich? That can't be his name. Is his, is that like Sam Sampson? Forgive me. I can't remember his name. It happens. We're live. It's how it goes. And Coca didn't even know I was going to discuss him. In any case, the NBA is investigating this tampering and they, Adam Silver, wanted to bring it up again preseason to remind you that he's still investigating, to remind you how important it is not to talk to other teams' players. Why does a commissioner care? It's because of you. When you're a fan of a team, you don't want other teams to take your players. Your emotional attachment to your team and your players is a bond that creates money for the leagues, for the teams. And anything that cuts to the integrity of those bonds, players are going to move in free agency. That happens. But it has to be at least the appearance that when players are playing for your team, they're focused on playing for your team. They're not being bothered by GMs of other teams and they want to win for your team. But that's not the truth. Not by any stretch. The truth is that every team tampers with every player because those sign and trades and free agent deals are done well before they're allowed to get done. The other thing that Silver talked about that I want to mention, Adam Silver, the commissioner, 
is expansion. All of these leagues, baseball, basketball, are trying to figure out when they can expand because owners want to make up the lost revenue from COVID. Owners want to find a way to cash in on these expansion fees, which is being penny-wise and pound-foolish. It's thinking short-term over long-term. The last thing baseball needs is expansion, trust me. The last thing the NBA needs is expansion, trust me. The reason I say trust me is because, is that, not the reason is because, excuse me, grammar police. The reason is that there are simply not enough quality players to make more teams in baseball, not enough quality pitchers, just doesn't exist. But the money is so hard to turn down. What's the easiest expansion city in basketball? You guessed it, Seattle. Why am I bringing it up? Because I'm tired of cities saying, I don't want to build a stadium for my team. I'm okay with letting my team relocate. The Seattle Supersonics relocated because they couldn't get a new arena. And the minute that team left, they wanted it back. The Expos didn't build a team for a stadium for Montreal. The Expos leave for Washington. Now they want a team back. Every time a city loses a team, they want it back. So Adam Silver said, hey, the Seattle Kraken have a stadium. And it's state of the art and it's nice. Seattle could get a team, but we're not going to talk about it yet. We got to get through COVID. Mark my words. Seattle's getting the basketball team back and they're paying more to get that team back than they would have if they had just kept the Sonics. So NBA starts with two games. I'm going to give you two extra picks if you don't mind. Because I'm watching two baseball games today and two basketball games today. Number one. The Bucs are getting one and a half against the Kyrie Irvingless Nets. Or is the game in Milwaukee? I'm totally blanking, Coca. Where is the game tonight? Is Kyrie Irving able to play? No, he's not. You know why? Because the Nets aren't letting him play. The Bucs are the defending champions. Do I have this wrong? We can cut it out of the show. Are the defending champion Bucs playing a home game and are underdogs in their opening night? can't be anyway coca's yelling at me they're not a defending champion they're a reigning champion i'm not arguing this i'm asking you a question are the bucks underdogs at home to start a season as the defending reigning champions okay taking the bucks getting one and a half of course i knew what the spread was lakers are giving three and a half to the warriors the warriors have stefan Marbury back. It's Stefan. <laughs> the Lakers are starting to head to their second title in three years. They're trying to come off a preseason where with Russell Westbrook and Carmelo Anthony and Anthony Davis, they had a hard time even winning a game. They're giving three and a half to the Curry, Stefan Curry Warriors. I like the Lakers in a blowout. LeBron James heading toward a ring. Bucks, Lakers. All right. I know it's Stephen Curry. Coke, I'm tired of you yelling at me. I was up till one in the morning. We're doing a show. All right, just stop. All right. Wait to see is when we tell you something's going to happen and then we do. We revisit it because I like revisiting it. 
something happened in college football yesterday that is a great way to see a coach got fired. First coach got fired. Washington State University as a coach. His name is Rick Nick Rolovich. There was a mandate that all state employees have to be vaccinated for COVID. People who work for these state universities are state employees. As a matter of fact, funny enough, the coach for Washington State is the highest paid state employee. Just wrap your arms around that for a minute. As a matter of fact, as I think about it, I bet you Greg Schiano is the highest paid employee in New Jersey. So it's not uncommon for a football coach to be the highest paid state employee. Nick Rolovich got fired, terminated along with a bunch of his assistant coaches because he would not get vaccinated. 42 years old, said he had an exemption, tried to get an exemption, didn't get an exemption. Do you know the way the exemptions work when you're trying to get a religious exemption? Because if the board of people who decide on exemptions saw Nick Rolovich's name, they would say, ooh, I buy that. You're exempt. The way it actually works is it's a piece of paper without a name on it that gives the reason for a, 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 a an, an extension. And it's not an extension. I'm sorry. My mouth is not working. Ready? 142869. An exemption to a COVID vaccine. You put it on a piece of paper, religious, medical, whatever the reason is. And the board looks at it, but doesn't know who's asking for it. In Washington, they looked at this explanation and they said, no, no chance, toilet pants. And then they look after and say, oh, God, that was Nick Rolovich. Guess what? There's nothing you can do. And once they've ruled, they've ruled and he's gone. I'll give you a wait to see right now. It's not going to be the last coach to be terminated. But the interesting question is. Washington State terminated him for cause. They don't want to pay him the balance of his contract. Termination without cause is when your team stinks. Because the contract doesn't say you're going to win. And so you get fired, but you get paid the rest of your guaranteed contract. Termination for cause is what Jacksonville may try to do to Urban Oscar Meyer if he gets caught again doing something. It's what Washington State and other people are going to do if you're not playing because you will not get vaccinated. Look what the Nets are doing with Kyrie Irving. Believe me, if they could terminate his contract, they would. But they're not paying him. There are going to be multiple grievances and lawsuits over this because Nick Rolovich is going to say, hey, you cannot tell me that I can't coach because I'm not vaccinated. Well, wait a minute. Due process rights. You work for a state. The state gets to make laws. Adam Silver said it in his preseason discussion. If you do not follow the laws of the state, there's nothing we can do. Washington State just says, hey, we're sorry. These are the rules. You've got to be vaccinated. How is it that someone would say, I would rather give up all of my money for the principle of not being vaccinated? I find it hard to believe. Talk about a bad decision. Nick Rolovich is out of a job. Kyrie Irving starts the season not getting paid. And I used to think it's just business. This is nothing personal.
It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m. and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com 